everyone to Making the Impact a Dance Competition podcast and this month's live Q&A with Courtney event. I'm so excited for so many friends to be joining us. So if you are here and watching, feel free to say hi in the comments and let us know so we can give you a shout out and say hi and know who's watching and viewing. And let's talk about today's episode, Q&A with Courtney Live. It's all about the questions, y'all. That's what we're here to do today. We're going to answer your questions live on the air. So if you have a question that you've been dying to have a dance competition judge answer, we will do that for you in this next hour. So get those questions prepped and you can type them right into the comments right here on Facebook Live as you're watching and we'll share your comment and answer it and discuss it. And the other great thing is, is if you are kind of unsure if you really want your name blasted on the podcast and you'd rather remain anonymous, you can do that. Shoot us a Facebook message during the live stream and we will read your question anonymously on the air and answer it for you. So don't feel pressured that you're afraid to type in the comments. But, you know, if a question comes to you during this view, then feel free to ask it. We would love to have some questions from everyone. So please interact. Say hi to us on the comments. We'd love, love, love to hear from you all. All right, and something that's really exciting for season two is we've gained so many fabulous sponsors this year, and we really couldn't make this podcast possible without these sponsors. And our first one is Jake Nothing. Jake Nothing, if you've never heard of them, they supply some really awesome studio team gear to to dance studios all across the country. So if you're looking for unique, trendy, and customized studio team wear, then be sure to check them out. They can create team gear that represents your studio's brand and vibe from jackets to joggers to leggings and sports bras. They even have some really adorable tie-dye options that I know you will love. So to all of my studio owners out there, if you're still looking for the perfect team gear, head on over to jakenothing.com to check out their entire collection now. And our next sponsor, which we're very excited about, is Dance Costumes by Urzua. They specialize in high-end custom costumes and dancewear that flatters every dancer's body. If you are still on the hunt for the perfect costume this season, contact Lily Urzua now to get a quote and she'll help create a beautiful one-of-a-kind costume to make sure you stand out in the crowd. They are also launching some brand new dancewear and we couldn't be more excited about it because they are creating a line inspired by Making the Impact. How cool! I cannot wait for you to see it. Their new Making the Impact dancewear line will be releasing on December 15th, so just in time for the holidays. And I've seen a few samples so far, and it's adorable. So be sure to check that out. We may even be hosting a special giveaway. So follow Dance Costumes by Urzua on Instagram so you don't miss out on those opportunities. And head on over to their website now at dancecostumesbyurzua.com to view their entire collection and custom designs. Thanks so much to our episode sponsors and all of our season sponsors this season on Making an Impact. All right, y'all. Well, guess what? It's finally time to meet our special guest judge who is joining us today. And I'm very excited to be able to bring in judges from all across the country and Impact Dance Adjudicators. We're all connected in this, this beautiful virtual world. But this dancer and judge and educator is actually coming to us from Connecticut today. That's where she's based. And she is a YPAD certified teacher and program ambassador. And she's a fabulous dance educator who travels across the country sharing her knowledge. 
She's been on the roster with IDA for the past three or four seasons. And you may actually remember her from season one of the podcast, episode seven, Age Range Expectations. I'm so excited to welcome the fabulous Emily Brannigan to the pod. Welcome, Emily. Hi, Courtney. Hey, everyone. How are you doing? Hi. Oh, I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks so much for sitting down and joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. Yay. Oh, my gosh. I'm looking at all the fabulous comments and there's so many friends that are here thanks everyone for joining us hello yay emily thank you so much i'm really excited and i would love for you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit more for some of our viewers and maybe share some of the things that you're currently working on i know you have a few projects up your sleeve so feel free to share a little bit about yourself hi My name's Emily, and I was born and raised in Connecticut. I spent about 12 years working professionally in Los Angeles, as well as teaching there. And I started my own social platform called the Empower Movement. And basically what we want to do is use dance to help people find themselves and make the world a better place. So we've been doing that for like five years now. And yeah, here I am. I love to dance. I love to share. And that's my story. (laughs) I love it. Amazing. Well, thank you, Emily, for joining us. And I love that that you're creating that. Um, And you created a fundraiser as well. Is that true? Yes. So we just launched a scholarship campaign. During COVID times, a lot of families have had to cut back. We're seeing less representation of the arts in in, um, our culture in general. We know everything's closed down. So we're providing scholarship. We just launched a campaign called Arts for All where people can go on and buy a t-shirt and support art scholarship for kids all around the country. And it also supports the studio owners too, because the money raised will go to tuition right to the studio. So that's where we're at. Yeah. You can go to our page, The Empower Movement on Facebook or check it out on Instagram and just tap that link in bio. Perfect. Oh, I'm so glad that you shared that. So everyone, please go check it out. We will definitely include that in the show notes of the episode as well once this is published to the podcast world. So everyone can definitely go follow and learn more. So thanks, Emily. Cool. Thank you, Courtney. All right. So let's jump in to anyone who's newly viewing or hasn't been here from the start. This is your chance to send us a question right in the comments now on the Facebook live stream and ask a question that you'd like to have Emily and I answer today live on the pod. We have a few questions on RN that have been previously submitted that we're going to kick things off with, but feel free at any time to shoot over a question or send us a private message on Facebook, and we will answer that question anonymously if you would prefer to remain anonymous. So, and by the way, your question's going to be about anything in the dance world. It doesn't have to be just about competitive dance. It can be about our favorite levels or age appropriateness. Or what kind of costume should I wear? Or what kind of song should I pick? Things like that. It can be about training advice in studio training. It can also be about transitioning into the professional world or advice for auditioning. Anything at all is welcome. So please feel free to get those questions prepped. And we're going to kick things off on our end with a question that was sent in from an anonymous dance parent. Here's the question. My daughter dances on a team that does a handful of competitions and performances. She is a child of color with curly hair. Hey, girl. For the competitions, her studio prefers that her hair be straightened to look like the other team members. I assume the argument is for visual uniformity on stage. However, 
Because of the amazing ethnic size and just plain kiddo diversity at this studio, they are not visually uniform on stage, even with the same hair. My question is, how do judges handle visual uniformity on stage with teams of ethnic diversity? What a great question to kick things off. That is. That is such a good question. Yeah. Do you have any initial thoughts off the top of your head, Emily? Yeah, actually, I've dealt with this a couple of times just in my own teaching. And I think there's a ton, like, it's such a hard thing to tackle because, yes, we want to be individual in our work, but when we're in a group, we want to be unison. So it's a fine line in blending individuality and blending uniformity. So I think it just depends on the structure of the piece and what they're going for. I'd say for that studio owner, for that dance parent, maybe check in with their dance teacher and see if there's an opportunity maybe in a solo or a small group to embrace everybody's, you know, natural essence and and go that route. But maybe in the group, like if I'm doing like something that's really sleek looking, I definitely want everyone pulled back and like looking the same. But say I'm going to do like Rhythm of Life from Sweet Charity. I want everybody to be free in themselves. And it just depends on the essence of the piece and and the age range of the kids too, right? Uh, Kids should look like kids. Kids, when they dance in the industry, will book like kids. So it's important to know that too. Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice. And I think this is a wonderful question. I can definitely help answer because I have curly hair as well to my anonymous dance parent whose child Mm -hmm. has curly hair. And I've dealt with the struggle my whole life because we Mm -hmm. are the minority most of the time. My curly hair friends out there, shout out to you. Y'all know what we go through. And sometimes... Girl, you know how many hours. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's hard to try to be uniform in that sense when it's like, I can straighten my hair if, if that's what my teacher requested of me or, you know, whatever, if it's for a job. But it's not going to look like that, like someone else's straight hair. I've actually been given yeah. like a fake pony fall before that's straight because mm-hmm. they're trying to like make me look uniform. And I feel like that this question and as far as like competitive dance, I think that what you said, Emily, is so spot on because it really does depend on the style of the, the dance. Right. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're supposed to be individual and we're all supposed to be our own character, our own personality then let let them have their curly hair let them have their straight hair any any hairstyle go for it you know if the hair sto- choice is a pony a low ponytail should the curly hair dancers have to straighten it because the majority have straight hair in the team and especially with this question from this excuse me <laughs> bless you especially with this question from this particular dance parent they said that the team is so diverse and and have so many ethnic backgrounds anyway so why should we try to put it all you know kind of throw that away and our beautiful diversity Mm -hmm. I think we should embrace it and wear our curls you know why not and it just really comes down to the style of the piece if the teacher feels like it might be better and easier for everyone to just like hey everyone go get a blowout straighten your hair today for you know we have competition And if that's their rule and that's their view, okay. But I personally mm-hmm. feel like let's embrace all of our different hairstyles and textures. And I think right. that in a way, though, it does prep them for the professional world because you may have to, you know, cater to what that job entails as far as your mm-hmm. hair or what the casting right. might be or, you know, whatever 
whatever that scenario is. So I think it's, it is good professional prep, but I would love to see more mm-hmm. yeah. texture on, textured hair on stage and a variety of, of hairstyles mm-hmm. on stage. Why not? Right. And it's also a conversation with the parents because some parents might, like I know in black culture specifically, like the first time you get your hair relaxed or straightened, it's a big milestone mm-hmm. for a girl. So if, if, if a parent's not comfortable with that yet or letting that happen for them yet, you know, we have to, as their teachers and as, you know, as they're paying business people, respect it. So yeah, it's kind of both ends, I guess. Yeah, I agree. But I totally know the struggle for trying to cater the hairstyles. And speaking of hairstyles yeah. for competition, I'm just going to throw this out there. Mm-hmm. This is a yeah. little off topic, but my head's going there. I love me a hair change in competition. I love it. Give me all the hair variety. Give me the space buns. Give me the high pony to the low yes. pony. Give me hair out. Give I me don't the care. Heidi. Yeah. Yes. Like, give me the hair options. However, I don't know if this year is going to we- let us give a lot of options this year. That's what I was just going to say because I have the same group of kids and we're doing something like really sharp and sleek. And then we're doing this like free, like musical theater dance where I want everybody down and playful. But how do you execute that in block scheduling? So this right. might be the year year for, like you said, maybe they have to wear a fall or maybe they have to like pick one thing and let it be the thing. So this year is the year of adaptation. But it also trains them for the fact that they might have to do a show and a quick change someday. And that's a full head to toe look Mm -hmm. you're changing in whatever minutes you get. So, yeah, I say go for it. Yeah. I love a hair change. I love it. I love a hair change. I know my dance parents always get so mad at me, though, because (laughs) I'm like, this goes to this and this goes to that. And then you're changing and they just get. I mean, the kids have to learn how to do it themselves. That would Mm -hmm. help. But. Right. I like a full commercial look. I want to see a full commercial look on stage. I want to see the whole deal. If I put this in a Gap ad right now, would I buy it? You know, like we're we're looking to be sold on stage. So yeah, I I fully support that. Yeah, I think that's a great a great point as well. So yeah, so thank you to our anonymous dance parent who submitted that question ahead of time. I hope that we answered that for you, and it was a really really great question. So I'm really glad that you sent that in. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Colleen, we love a hair change too. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we got some good questions coming in from all yeah. of our listeners. So let's see the first one. I'm going to share Kenneth's question, and it's probably going to take up a lot of the, the page, but here we are. How would you <laughs> go about getting into judging working for a competition? I started dancing when I was younger and have directed my studio since I was 18. I am now 23. I have a lot of experience just not in this case, of course. How would you recommend getting your feet in the door? Well, I think this is a great question because so many people have this exact question. How do you break into the judging industry? Do you have any advice, Emily? I do, actually. You know, it's not as easy as you would think. And it's a completely different skill set than working professionally or teaching, right? I like when I was a little bit younger in my early 20s. I'm like, I got that, no problem. And then I started working for a competition and traveling as the backstage manager, as the awards person. You know, I didn't MC because that's not my bag of tricks, but I started learning the ropes from other perspectives. 
And that kind of led me to feel confident and build a resume enough to sit down at the judges table. I think I think you have to kind of understand the whole structure first before you sit down because there's a lot more that that goes into it than speaking on your mic and giving your critiques. There's a whole a whole system in place. So I'd say do your research and know as much as you can about the whole system. Yeah, I think that's wonderful advice. So mm-hmm. Definitely to Kenneth, if you're looking to break in, maybe try, you know, getting in with some competitions on the back side, seeing how they run it a little Mm -hmm. bit, making those connections with them, especially if you have been directing your studio for a while. Contact some Mm -hmm. of the competitions that you attend with your studio and see if they're looking for staff or looking for judges. You know, we say this all the time on the podcast, the dance industry is extremely small and it really comes down to networking. That's what it's really about. And I will say my very first job as a judge, I grew up in the competitive dance world, so I understood the industry, but I've never been on the other side of the table. And of course, I was actually around your age, Kenneth. I really wanted to break into judging, but I couldn't get a job because I didn't have judging experience. So everyone would just push my resume aside. And then also I was still young, so I didn't have a lot of professional credits to back that up either. So I think that when I was young, it was honestly someone dropped out and recommended me and I got in. And that was my first way to put that on my resume. And after that, because Mm -hmm. I had a little bit of experience, then I could keep going from there. So I really think that it comes down to being a really, really strong educator now. Um, That's the other important thing because we have every age dancer, every level dancer, and multiple styles of dance on the competitive dance stage. And we as judges are expected to know how to judge all of that and score it, you know, and that's a hard job. So, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, well, I don't, I don't care how impressive your professional career has been resume wise. I want you to know how to critique and understand what it, what it takes to get this seven-year-old novice dancer to be doing what they're doing on stage, you know? So right. I think that that's where that, the teaching aspect comes in. So every single judge has to really be well-versed in all genres of dance, all levels of dancers and have experience in the classroom. So I would say... Keep, keep working on establishing, establishing those connections with more competitions. Keep building your teaching resume as much as you can because I know you direct your studio. So keep, you know, broadening that and learning and growing. Congrats on that, by the way. Yeah, shout out. Absolutely. I know, not easy. Yeah. And then on top of it, you know, just keep networking. That's, that's really important. You being here today is a perfect uh, networking opportunity as Impact Dance Adjudicator supplies judges. So Now we might remember your name and when you apply, you know, you just never know. So that would be my best advice as far as how to break into the industry. Hope that is helpful, Kenneth. That is good. That is good advice, Courtney. Yay. All right. We have some more questions. We have a a Sam Quinn question. What up, Sam? Thanks for tuning in. Sam's one of our judges on the IDA Mm -hmm. roster. So we'll give a judge a question here. And his is piggybacking off unison how do you feel the costume shoe industry can evolve more to make dancers of different colors feel more empowered with appropriately matched flesh tones i know i have my own thoughts but would love to hear emily's perspective all right em. hi sam <laughs> well that's a very easy one for me and i it's kind of, and a teacher said it to me a long time ago it's arms and legs it's just arms and legs right so if I, if I have this color arms, I should have this color leg and shoe as well. And it's so relieving to see 
the dance industry or the, the commercial side of the dance industry and the actual products starting to catch up and hear everybody. Because even 10 years ago, maybe, maybe less than 10 years ago, I was sending Padinis to be colored for my, for my eight-year-old student doing I Want to Be a Rocket. And she, yeah, she, we got comments saying, thank you so much for doing it. And it was her mother was like, can we please do it? I, was, I said, absolutely we can, but arms and legs. I feel the same way about the shoes too. No tights, no shoes. You know, if I'm wearing no tights, there's no sense in the shoes and then it's the natural color and we don't have to worry about it. But again, arms and legs. Arms and legs is as easy as you can get. I don't have purple arms, so I don't wear purple tights and I don't wear purple shoes. <laughs> Unless you're going for that. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's my answer, Sam. Arms and legs. Yeah. Yeah, I think. And thankfully, I, it's getting easier. It is. It definitely is. And you it know is. what? I really appreciate you asking this, Sam. We actually are launching an episode about the role of race in dance. And this topic mm-hmm. was discussed in that episode in mm-hmm. full detail. We actually had Michelle Tolson, who was a Rockette in her professional career. And she told us about that the Rockettes didn't even have matching skin tone tights and shoes until very recently, which is crazy. Startling fact. You know what I mean? Yeah. She wore tan tights. And she is not tan. She needed chocolate tights and they didn't have that. So it's, it's very interesting. That's been an issue in our dance industry and it is getting easier, like you said, Emily. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad that it is. The dance costume companies are listening. The shoe companies are listening. And they, sh- they should have 20 years ago. And they should have sure. never upcharged the shoe cost due to the color that you are purchasing. That is just absurd. So... To every dancer of color who has had to dye their tights or dye their shoes, I'm just letting you know that there are, there are some companies out there that are creating multiple colored options for all of you. And I want you to take advantage of it because it's so necessary. So Yeah. And, and just a, a word to the teachers, the best thing I ever did for my kids that needed that was take the item from them. If you need a dyed pair of trunks, I'm your girl because you shouldn't, your mom, and you shouldn't have to do extra to feel a part of this team and a part of this piece. So I know it might take you extra time and your bathroom might turn brown in the process with the <laughs> coffee, but it'll be fine to make that kid feel like one of the rest. So go, go above. That's the time to go above and beyond. Yeah. I think that's, that's mm-hmm. wonderful. I love that you do that, Em, and that's mm-hmm. really, really great advice. <laughs> You should see, you should have seen my LA bathtub. It was all sorts of colors. (laughs) Did not get that deposit back. (laughs) I love it. What we do for dance, (laughs) y'all. Right? The things we do, no idea. All right. Well, I'm so pumped about these fabulous questions that are coming in. And we have so many more to answer. So thank you to everyone who's sending in questions. If you are watching and you have one, feel free to send it over in the comments or DM us on Facebook and we will share it anonymously. Mm -hmm. So let's see our next question. This one's coming from Kate. She says, my daughter is six years old and desperately wants to do a creepy contemporary solo Mm. next year. Is seven too young for a contemporary solo? I want to keep it age appropriate. Great question. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, Em? Yeah. I think that's such an individual question. Depending on the dancer and their maturity, 
and their level of technique. So I prefer at a young age to see a lyrical solo um, at that age, which can still be creepy if you'd like it to be. You know, there's eerie lyrical music because it's reinforcing their ballet technique. And until their ballet technique is really secure, then I don't personally allow my dancers to take contemporary. They take modern first. So I think it just depends on your dancer and where she is. And as far as the creepy solo, it depends on your kid and how much she can handle. Like I had, I have a cousin who like came out of the womb like emo child. But like personally me, I was scared of Thriller till I was a grown adult. So <laughs> I wouldn't be the kid you'd want to give a creepy solo. But if she's asking for it and she feels inspired by it, and it's not going to keep your household up at night, then I say more power to her, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... That is a very specific request for a six-year-old to be like, I want to be creepy at competition. I mean, hey, that I mean, why not embrace the creepy if if that's what if that's what this little dancer has her heart set Mm -hmm. on or their heart set on? Right. As far as contemporary, I think that there is definitely a trying to think of the right word. I think a lot of people associate, well, if it's not like pretty bright bubblegum lyrical. then it's got to be contemporary. And I don't necessarily feel like that's true. I feel like that you Mm -hmm. can have a a darker lyrical dance. And I think that it really comes back down to what you exactly what Emily said. Is a six-year-old ready to do contemporary or a seven-year-old? I'm going to say no. Contemporary dance is very uh, specific, even though it seems like it's kind of dominating the dance world these days. And you have to have a solid foundation and and certain skill set to be able to then, I forget who said it so great, either to my Christina Fischetto or Maddie Kurtz from Lyrical Versus Contemporary episode in season one. Ah, One of y'all said this so good. And that's our most listened to episode ever. So feel free to go listen to it, Kate, because I think this could be helpful. But um, someone said you can't break the rules if you don't know them yet. Yes. Or something That's along like the lines of that. what I tell my kids. Yeah, because yes. contemporary is it is a, you can kind of bend the rules a little bit more in contemporary than you can in lyrical. And I think as a judge for a seven-year-old routine across the board, it doesn't matter what genre, I'm looking for that dancer to understand basics. That's what I really want to mm-hmm. see happening. And if you're already giving me some, you know, variations of, of what the basics are in contemporary at seven, I'm not sure if you even know what the basics are, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like that keeping it in a lyrical setting is probably best, but I think we could go in that darker route if that's what this dancer really has their heart set on, but making sure that it does stay appropriate for the age is is definitely important. Yes, Maddie, you Mm -hmm. have to know the rules to break them. That's what it is. Thank you, Maddie. Yeah, so yeah. I think that that's my best advice as far as that. Um, maybe she can save the contemporary for like a few more years and go with the lyrical. But again, it doesn't have to be bubblegum and, and you know, flowers and happiness all the time. We can, get a little, right. we can get a little dark if we want, but age appropriate is important. Yes, absolutely. Put the dancer before the dance. That's the YPAD motto. Yes. And speaking of YPAD, we love YPAD, and we actually had Leslie Scott on the podcast coming soon 
to our age-appropriateness at competition episode, which is obviously one of the hottest topics in the entire dance competition world. So please be sure to tune into that, which is launching in the next few weeks. Yay. Yes. You don't want to miss that. Love YPAD. Leslie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Can't say enough. Hi listeners, it's Courtney, and I wanted to quickly share an exciting new announcement from one of our sponsors, Dance Costumes by Urzua. Not only do they create custom costumes for the competitive dance stage, they also have created a brand new line of dancewear that flatters every dancer's body. And we are so excited to have collaborated with Dance Costumes by Urzua to launch the Making the Impact Dancewear line. Inspired by the podcast, this new dancewear line is absolutely adorable with beautiful ombre colors and it comes in multiple styles and variations. The new line just released on December 15th, so head on over to dancecostumesbyurzua.com to check out their fantastic dancewear and costumes. And don't forget, use the code IDA15 at checkout to receive 15% off your order. All right, we have some more great questions coming in. So one is from Fernando. This is, what makes a good convention teacher? Great question. Any advice, Em, off the top of your head? Well, I'm going to give you the perspective of the audience. And then I think Courtney can maybe give you the, the perspective from the platform because that's more her wheelhouse than mine. <laughs> For me, what makes a good convention teacher is when all the kids in the room can walk away with something, right? The room's going to be full of, of technical skills, technical skill levels A to Z. So as long as somebody, everybody walks out of the room feeling good, feeling like they learned something. And I also love to see a progression or a warm up or something class related. So they're taking home a nugget to apply to their technique. Yeah. That's what I like to see when I walk in the room as a teacher. Go for it, Courtney. Yeah, I can tackle this from the opposite side as a convention teacher. However, I did grow up doing conventions when I was young. So I feel like as a student and even as a student to this day, I know what I'm not going to say I know what makes a good teacher, but I know what I expect from a teacher as a student. So I always try to approach every class that I teach in a convention setting from that mindset of making sure that Mm -hmm. I'm not just spitting choreography out and rushing through without the kids being able to retain it. I feel like that's Mm -hmm. an issue we see a lot at conventions is it's just all about the combo and how much material we can get out and not about the teaching. And it's about the teaching. You know, it really has to come back down to that. I don't care how many eight counts are on the convention video of my class. I care if the dancers understood and could, could adapt to the style that I was giving them. We're nailing the musicality. You know, those things as a teacher are what, what I expect. So I think that that's one thing as far as convention teachers that I, I really admire and look up to, the ones that take their time and really provide the, the proper tools while they're teaching to explain everything that they want to get across. Um, You know, Mm. teaching is hard. It's not an easy job. And when you're in a a room full of 300 kids, uh, you have to make sure that you can still acknowledge the kids in the back that are afraid to come to the front and make sure they feel comfortable. You have to make sure that letting people ask questions and not just have your back turned away from them the whole time and just charging ahead. I really think that inspiring the kids 
demonstrating for them is really important too. So you can, they can see the musicality, they can see what the style is supposed to look like so they can try to embody that in your short one hour that you have in a convention setting. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I come go to when I teach and how I approach it. But I think there's some really fabulous convention teachers out there. And shout out to all the dance conventions who are making it work this season. And I support you all. I know. <laughs> Good luck <laughs> <Yeah>. is right. <laughs> not an easy, not an easy feat. But we appreciate all that all these conventions have done for the kids throughout this whole time. Like. The dance industry in general just did such a good job of making everyone feel connected and feel fulfilled in some way as, as, you know, as teachers, as students, as parents, you know, they got the whole family involved. So it wasn't the soccer coaches. It was the dance community that kept going. So absolutely. Yes. Shout out to us, dance community, making it work. We are, and speaking of making it work, here's a a great question that kind of relates to this wonderful COVID world that we're living in right now, Mm -hmm. which is so real and true Mm -hmm. in 2020. This is from Katie. I don't want to say your name wrong, but yeah, Katie Steele. Okay. Oh, do you know Katie? I sure do. Hey, that's my sister. Oh my God. Hey, sis. (laughs) All right, sis, with the question. As we are heading into the holiday season, virtual learning might make its way back again. Any advice for helping younger dancers stay engaged? All right, Mm. sis. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Katie, for that poignant question. She she asked a good one. She sure did, and it's relevant, and that's not an easy one. Uh, (laughs) I say, here's what my thought is. Be really structured in your teaching and be consistent. So we know for two minutes at the beginning of the class, I'm going to say, hi, everyone, please turn your phones off. Make sure you're in a room that's quiet. The dog might walk by, whatever may happen, but please try and stay focused. If you need to excuse yourself, please comment in the chats. Just make your boundaries and your expectations really, really clear especially with the little ones, and, and remind them because they, they're young, but they will respond sometimes better than the, the ones who have more going on, the older kids. They have a lot on their minds. But I think just be consistent and uh, be prepared. I have never sweat so much in my life <laughs> teaching Zoom class, especially the preschoolers. So parents listening, just know we got your back and we're doing as much as we can. Kids, be patient. Everybody be patient. Be kind. It's not ideal, but if it's what we're asked to do, it's for a very good reason. Yeah, just make sure you have a soft surface to land on. (laughs) Good luck. You know, what's been so like, I guess it's wonderful, but also could be pricey for the Mm -hmm. parents is the fact that like Mm -hmm. every child has tried to figure out and every parent has tried to convert a room or some space in their house to be a dance room Mm -hmm. because their their, their kids love to dance. But they right. have to Zoom, unfortunately. And, you know, mm-hmm. the carpet's not cutting it and oh. the garage isn't cutting it because it's on cement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of I've seen so right. many home studios being invested in. I mean, yes. hey, dancers out there, that could be a great uh, holiday wish list. Dear Santa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dear Santa, I'd like a Marley floor. Yeah. And I think there's know. ways to make it affordable. And I think it is mm-hmm. a good investment. Something that I'd say to keep the kids engaged, I mean, I can only imagine how burnt out they are to be on Zoom. 
I know I am and I've barely had to do it. So uh, props to every teacher out there who's making it work and props to every dancer out there who is rolling with the punches and being flexible and understanding when things do have to shift back to virtual learning again, because that is really hard for, you know, our our children have to deal with. I can only, Mm -hmm. I feel for you all so hard. One just little like bit of advice, and I think this could be helpful, and this is mainly towards the teachers out there. What's so wonderful about this virtual world that we are living in is that Zoom allows us to connect with so many from all over the world. So right now, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in New York City, and Emily's sitting in Connecticut, and we're talking to tons of people on Facebook. Like such a wonderful virtual world right now. And what's cool about that is you could, as a teacher, maybe plan for special guests to pop onto Zoom and have a guest class to keep it different and inspiring and maybe do a once a month special guest class with a new teacher who's Zooming in from wherever. I mean, they really can. As yeah. If the teacher's cool with it and they have space and they, they want to do it, you can really um, take advantage of those, those types of opportunities. And I truly believe that our dance world is going to start evolving into this virtual direction where yes. um, everything's going to be happening virtually. I, I've already, as a professional dancer, experienced virtual audition, which have been interesting, but that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing. I think that virtual teaching, you know, CLI Studios has been doing it for a while, but now we can incorporate right. in so many other platforms the interactive Zoom learning. And I really do believe mm-hmm. if we all as a dance industry have figured out how to do this during this pandemic, that's where we're, we're going to be heading in, in the virtual world and the dance world. So invest in those home studios <laughs> if you can. <laughs> and uh, get, get your ring lights. Get your you'll ring light. to go. Yeah. And you'll be good to go. Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I think that that's some advice and help as far as how, how the kids stay engaged. And I think, Emily, you really hit, hit the nail on the head with your answer. So thank you. Katie. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, sis. <laughs> Shout out to Ollie and Finn. Aw, yay. Love that we have so many familiar friends joining us today. So thanks to everyone who's still tuning in. We're nearing our end, but we have a lot more questions to tackle, and we will try our mm-hmm. best to do that before we wrap up. And if you have any final questions, type them in or send them to us. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's hear from. Colleen's question and hers is my daughter is 12 and doing her first duet with a boy age 13 what do you like to see the most as a judge cute this sounds fun yeah I want to see this dance. that's exciting yeah same same I'm all for a mixed gender duet yeah so fun uh partnering yeah partnering and respect yes, yes that's what yes. I'd like to see in that age yep Partnering and respect and something that reflects their life experience, mm-hmm. where they meet them where they are right now. That's what I love to see in that age. Partnering and connection and that, that respect between a male and a female on stage. Yeah. Wonderful. That's I what I'd like. 100% agree. I love when I see male dancers on the stage yes. and I love when it is a duo in the scenario. I would love to mm-hmm. see some partnering. Why not? And, you know, it's, I'm not even just speaking on like a male-female duet. Even in a female-female duet right. or a male-male duet, I'd love to see partnering. I love me some partnering. Yes. <laughs> uh, me too. And at that age, Me too. I find duets them. to be the hardest. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really does come down to trust. You know, if you're getting paired with yeah. this person, 
then you've been casted this way because your teacher believes that you guys complement each other or you have similar styles of movement or maybe you're just really great friends and you have a good connection. Whatever the reasoning Mm -hmm. for this partnership, now let's take it the next level and add the partnering to develop the trust between one another. Mm-hmm. Because with right. with the partnering, you know, your your weight transferring, if you're doing any sort of lift, you're really relying on that base mm-hmm. to catch you and support you. And then yeah. the person that's getting lifted has to learn how to support themselves in the lift. And it's just a mm-hmm. really great learning experience and a perfect opportunity. Now, I will say for partnering, making sure, especially in COVID year 2021, that everyone's right. cool with it as far as like, are we okay right. to, you know, touch and, and are we wearing masks? Are we not? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a whole nother discussion, but I feel like yeah. in, in a regular world scenario with a male-female duet, I'd love to see some partnering elements incorporated. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. She said it's a fun jazz. Hopefully we get to see it. That'll be great. Great. Oh, well. We love some jazz. We love some jazz, and we hope to be at live events with our judges with all of our IDA-affiliated competitions this season. So fingers crossed that those pull through. Mm-hmm. But we do have our IDA virtual competition and we most likely will be hosting a group event in 2021. So Colleen, we'd love for you to submit that duet. We'd love to see it. We want to see the fun jazz. Yay. We sure do. Oh, this is a good question. This is from Tracy. And this is a question from a dancer. Where is the best place for a short petite dancer to dance in a convention room? Hard to see or be seen sometimes. Girl, I know the struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a great one. I love it. Um, Yeah. Well, how tall are you, Emily? Well, I'm 5'8", but as a child, I was pretty short until I was like 14, 15. So I had a giant growth spurt in high school. But before that, I was a nugget. Um, (laughs) I'd say... And always, like, always traveling, like, with my older siblings and her friends, like, to go do whatever master classes were around and stuff. And side story to that is, is speak up, speak up, because I was, I remember being, like, eight in the back of Savion's class, Savion Glover, and just saying, I can't see you. And maybe <laughs> that's not a, the place to be for an eight-year-old. And I ended up getting to dance side by side with him in the front of the class. So advocate, yeah, advocate for yourself. but. When that's not possible because it's a giant room, the sides. Mm-hmm. I like when I, when I get up on the side. That's where I always tell my kids to hang the side of the room and get there. You just have to take your space and claim it. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, you got to get yours in comp- convention world, right? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, like you just said, sometimes people will mm-hmm. claim that space that you want. And you're like, darn yeah. it, I really wanted to be in the front center. And now I can't see if I'm in the back. And right. I totally get it. I mean, you're five mm-hmm. eight, and I did not know that I you know. were that tall. So <laughs> whoa, I'm so like, wherever I go is fine. But yeah, I mean, I'm tiny. I'm my I resume know. says five two, but I'm probably five one. And as a child, I was very short, a little nugget. Right. So I would say best advice. I'm trying to like. I mean, even to this day, I struggle with being able to see as a shorty when I take class or if I'm in an audition. But in a convention Mm -hmm. room, I think number one, and I am a culprit of this as a convention teacher, and I need to get better at it. But hopefully the teacher will remember to switch lines. I need to remember to do that more often in my class. And if for some reason, if you feel like it's an appropriate time to ask, 
feel free to raise your hand and say, can we switch lines? Can the back come to the front? And then you, it's kind right. of like a reminder to the teacher, like, oh yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, let's get, I want to see some new faces in the front. Because yeah, when, as a teacher, I can just tell you, like when you're in the heat of the moment and you're teaching and you're doing your thing, you kind of forget about mm-hmm. that element and you want the kids to right. be able to have the best experience. So mm-hmm. ask the teacher to switch lines. Don't do it too often, but send a reminder. Don't do it like I did it. Don't like, I can't see. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't be that kid. Um, but ask politely for sure. Yeah, ask politely. And I'm Oops. sure they'll be like, yeah, we can totally switch lines for you. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the same. I'm, I like to stand on the side. I'm a side learner yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. I do not like to be front center right behind the teacher. I do yeah. not like that. But that's just me. And I'm, I'm actually thinking of it more from a perspective of uh, like if I'm in a classroom. If you're on right. convention, usually they're on a little bit. Of, the teachers are elevated a little bit on a stage. So at any place, mm-hmm. you should be able to see them. But I usually gravitate to, where, to wherever there's some room to move a little bit so I'm not yeah. congested and a side angle view. So hopefully I also helpful. have a student or had a student in LA who was so smart about it. She's a very tall girl, always was. So she didn't always feel comfortable dancing in the front mm. until she had it. Yeah. So she was kind of a gradual, like as the combo went, I could see her sneaking up the side. Yep. As the combo went on, she would get closer and closer especially in things that she was more confident in. Right. So I think find your confidence and then kind of mingle through the room once you get the combo, if you're looking for the scholarship or looking to get noticed or something like that. I used to do that in auditions as well. I'd kind of just like make my way yeah. on a diagonal yep. as it would go on. But. Yeah, I think that that's, I was, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the other mm-hmm. bit that I wanted to say, but completely right. forgot. Yes kind of do like a sneak attack I do the same thing I like to learn in the back corner in my own Mm -hmm. bubble in my own space I have all the freedom back there I can see everything no Mm -hmm. one's right in front of me and blocking my view and I can kind of feel it out until I feel comfortable where I can now go to the front so when we break into groups I'm gonna try to sneak to the front and then you're like the teacher's like whoa who is that I didn't see you before you know what I mean whereas there might be some dancers who will live in the front and never get it. Whereas you're taking your time in the back and kind of sneak attack to the front, Mm -hmm. especially in an audition setting. I do that all the time. But even in class, I'll slowly make my way to the front so I can feel a little bit more confident if I feel like I'm really getting the routine. And that way the teacher can Mm -hmm. notice me and not get lost. But I will say they I will see you if you're in the back and you're you're killing it. Like if I'm teaching Mm -hmm. and you are in the back corner and you're dancing for your life because you have space to jump, leap, tick, kick, turn, all the things. I will see you back there and I will make sure that you know that you're doing an amazing job. So as far as being able to see, those are our best advice. And then, you know, get into the front to be noticed towards the end. Once you really feel confident with the combo is Mm -hmm. helpful. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we kind of flooded through all of those fabulous questions. Seriously, y'all, to all of our listeners and viewers, this is awesome. These questions have been amazing so thank you to every person who has sent one in and we can answer a few more so if you have any final questions before we wrap up the Q&A then send them in right now so we can answer them before it's over but I'm so impressed this has been like our best live Q&A yet so it's it's been really awesome we've answered so many different types of questions too it's really really great I'm just looking through to see if I missed anything And I think that we could end with this question here, which I skipped over earlier, but it's from Fernando. 
And I think that this is Amanda. this is a good one, which I'm a little I actually Ooh. don't even really know if I can answer this properly, but we can try. We can try hard. <laughs> we'll do our best. So Fernando says, what separates jazz funk and jazz fusion? Oh. Oh. <laughs> mm. He said, mm. Mm. Fernando, tough one. This I feel like this is a geographic question. Mm. Like you know what I mean? Like in different areas of the world or the country, right. we call different types of jazz different things. Yeah. Uh, when I think jazz funk, I think like commercial pop, you know? Jazz fusion to me feels more contemporary, but who's to say, right? Yeah. It's all a matter of just like subjectivity. Yeah. I, Sorry, Fernando, that's, that's what I got. I think, th- I think that's exactly spot on to what I would say am like I I really I I feel like this is such a hard question and the reason it's hard is because our dance world has evolved so much to being a fusion of styles and it's hard to really classify what is what anymore and we we try very hard on the podcast to classify genres Mm -hmm. because I think that it is a a big question like like we kind of talked about earlier I mean is lyrical or contemporary more appropriate for a dancer it really comes down to do we even know what the difference is you know what i mean because they are different styles but then something like jazz that has which again we have a jazz episode coming up so listen to that on thursday and you'll hear all about lots of variations of of the jazz technique throughout the years but i agree with you 100 percent. i feel like jazz funk feels more a little more street jazz hip hop inspired. Mm-hmm. I feel like that it probably has that uh that hi- a style of hip hop incorporated into it that also mm-hmm. infuses technical jazz elements is what I would envision if I were to say that's a jazz funk dance. Um, Same. I would classify that as jazz funk. Yeah. And then for jazz fusion, I think that the word fusion is where we can go with that and and allow that to fuse with other genres, specifically contemporary. And I think that I I actually really enjoy jazz fusion as a genre title over like contemporary jazz. Yeah. You know, because I feel like that there's so many contem... I I can't tell you how many times where I've seen a contemporary dance in the jazz category. And Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, maybe that dance should have been a jazz fusion dance and they didn't know what to do with it. So they put it in jazz because there's not right. a jazz fusion at competition. I feel like we need to bring back like the open category. Yeah, totally. You know? Yes. Like, that's where that that's where I would put that. Yes. I wouldn't put that in like a contemporary or a jazz. I'd put it open. It really is short for open to interpretation. Right. Maybe we need to have like a write in or an asterisk by it. Right. Like, Open jazz fusion. Yeah. Open clogging because you really do not know what you're going to get. I wonder if we could create, if the comp world could create like a fusion category. And then like when Mm. people enter, they can select like two or three genres that this fusion is, you know, based around. That would be cool. Right. Or just like getting a dog, right? I don't have a Westie. I don't have a Maltese. I have a Westie Maltese. Uh-huh. So maybe it's that. Yeah. Maybe between the jazz category and the contemporary category, there's a jazz fusion contemporary category. Yeah. So it just blends through. I don't know. Are we scripting this now? Are we turning the dance and the competition <laughs> world into like, we're just going to make it a beautiful ombre. 
I know. I think that's the hard the, the yeah. hard part about it. And like with competitive dance, I mean, you have to think like how many categories do we need? We already have levels. We already have ages. Now we're adding like a thousand more genres to the mix to keep up with the fusion of styles that are being incorporated into the industry. So I feel like that in a competitive world, it it might not be a bad idea to take advantage of the open category a little bit more if we're kind of fusing dances. Or I mean, I, I kind of, I personally feel like some of the fusion could be maybe geared towards more advanced older dancers. Because yes. it goes back to that same thing that we said earlier as you have right. to know the foundation of these styles before you can fuse them together, you know? Right. And that's, that's important for dancers who are still learning, who are still training, who are still growing in all different levels to know, okay, I know what the difference is between contemporary and jazz, and now I can fuse them mm-hmm. together. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, I've never cooked a turkey before, so I'm not going to start with a turducken. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, for all you parents out there, like, that's the equivalent. Like, if your kid is asking for those things, you know, like, do you know the basic first? Right. Yeah. That's just that's how it is. It is how it is. Yep. Somebody said jazzercise seems good. Yes, Sam. Jazzercise <laughs> seems very good. I'm, I'm all there for that. Contemporary. Let's see what Sam Sam says. Open always to me seems like the extra category for more than one contemporary lyrical solo. Justice for open. (laughs) Justice for open. (laughs) Sam, you're so right. Hello. It's true. Yes. Or like the almost the almost acro. Yes. They're not quite an acrobat. Right. But they're doing some a few walkovers or some some like chest dance, chin stand, whatever you want to call it. So it goes there. I mean, I'm guilty of that myself. Right. You know, and it from our end as a teacher, sometimes it's used as a, we're not ready for contemporary. We don't have all our acrobatic skills. Maybe we live here for the season until we figure it out. Right. So I do have much appreciation for the open category for that reason. I have used it myself. So I will have to get on my soapbox and fight <laughs> for the open category now. <laughs> justice for open yeah i mean the open category was created back in the day (laughs) we're going back in the Mm -hmm. day right now it was created for all of those i don't know where to place this it it wasn't created for an additional jazz i mean i guess it could be an additional jazz dance but like i don't know i feel like it's open it can be whatever you want but i feel like it should actually be something that's hard to classify or unclassifiable is that a word Yes. Yeah. And if, if the reason why it's there is because you already have one, the the question, the bigger question we need to ask ourselves is, do we need to do that? Or maybe should we try something different? Mm-hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you haven't, if you have a contemporary and a lyrical and an open, maybe we need to explore some jazz or maybe right. we need to try some tap. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. Because Diversity. you got to diversify your season. Ex- exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like Sam said, what as far as the open category and there might be people listening or there might be people listening on the podcast once this goes to the podcast, mm-hmm. you might be shaking your head like, oh man, that's totally my dancer or that, right. I, you know, I, I am that dancer that does a contemporary solo and does another contemporary yeah. solo and open. Right. And that's not what we want to see as judges. I know that this question right. has taken a different turn, but you know, I think that it's As important it for people to hear that because we don't want to see two of the same solos on stage. And that's right. ultimately what it comes down to being if you put something mm-hmm. in open. Unless the open dance is just so out there and different, then 
your other one, right. then okay, I'll take it. But most of the time I'll see a contemporary and a lyrical and they're both the same dance or I'll see right. a lyrical and an open and it's maybe the open has an extra front aerial in it or something you know what I mean (laughs) or it's the same technique we're using the same technique yeah like be versatile bring something new to the stage Mm -hmm. challenge yourself don't play it safe take some risks I think that's important I I would wholeheartedly agree with you I think that's really important Sam said we should have an open episode and I think that's a wonderful idea so we're putting it into the brainstorming mix Sam we're gonna gonna make t-shirts yes we can make (laughs) t-shirts We're going to talk about open all day. All right. So that is sadly the last question that we have from all of our viewers. I know. But it's this seriously has been our best episode live episode yet. So thank you to everyone who's been tuning in and listening. And like so many awesome questions and fabulous discussions that we had. So thank you to everyone who joined us. Few final updates from IDA World. First, before we update, I'd love to say thanks to Emily Brannigan for joining us today on the pod. Yay! Yay, Thank you so much for having me. It was such a good time, Courtney. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Leslie. You thanks for watching everyone. Yeah, you are a rock star, Em. You really, really nailed it. So many great things being said in this episode. So thanks so much for all of your your answers (laughs) to everything. Of course. Yeah, and a few final things. Happy holidays. Oh my God, happy holidays. I forgot. Happy holidays, everyone. It is happy holidays, and I was supposed to say that at the beginning, and I totally forgot. It's it's December, y'all. It's here. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh. And this episode is, is launching on Christmas Eve, so happy holidays to everyone who celebrates. And yes, it's, it's going to be a great December. I hope it is for all of the dance families around the world who are listening. In IDA land, we actually have some fun announcements. The first up is our virtual competition. IDA's virtual competition is still going. So it was actually supposed to close registration on December 1st today, but we extended it. And we really wanted to be able to give the opportunity for more dancers to participate because I feel like with the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas and all of the different holidays that are kind of thrown into the mix right now, it's hard to get into the studio. Some dancers might not have finished their solo choreography yet and haven't had a chance to film. So now you have a chance. We're extending it until January 10th. Registration closes on that date and our overall announcements will announce in January as well as our live stream top 20 challenge so be sure to head to our website at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash virtual competition and register your soloist now because it's a solo only comp also we have online judges critiques how exciting so if you don't want to have the comp experience and you want to just get some feedback before live comp you can send that in to us and our judges will critique your dance and there won't be a score adjudication. They'll do additional feedback and you can even watch your judge critique. There'll be a little bubble with your judge's face talking right to you. It's pretty cool. So definitely check that out. They start at $35 on our website. And finally, we have some IDA merch in the house these days, which I'm rocking a Christina Belinsky Artist in Motion apparel original, which will be coming to the merch store exclusive limited edition soon. But we have some IDA merch. You can get virtual comp t-shirts or hoodies. You can get IDA um, making the impact, of course. So if you want to support our podcast and our brands, feel free to check that out on our website. So that's 
pretty much it that wraps up this episode. Thanks again, Emily, for joining us. And uh, to all of our listeners and viewers, thanks so much for tuning in and supporting IDA. We hope you have a wonderful holiday and see y'all next time. Bye.